The text for the sermon this day is taken from that gospel lesson which you heard earlier, and also Psalm 95, which was kind of etched a little bit into the confession and absolution. It says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. That is the text. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. For some of you, you may recognize those words. Those words are known as the Venite in the old order of Matins. It was one of the old, was the first things that was chanted. We would sing, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. So, some of us, so for those of us who grew up on Matins, we have Psalm 95 memorized. And it's a very interesting text to read today. Because the question we could right away ask is, what do we have to sing about right now? In fact, right now as we speak, as some people told me, and I kind of had to glance and look it up, is the churches in Des Moines, they are not meeting today. Even Gloria Day, one of our own synod churches, they're they're streaming services online instead. Right now, we are living in the midst of a very unusual world, at least for us. We are seeing everything canceled. I, for instance, was going to go to Planet Comic Con and meet like Sergeant Slaughter and things like that last week, next weekend, because there's 60,000 people. That was canceled. There are track meets getting canceled, basketball tournaments canceled. Good news, the Minnesota Gophers were undefeated in the Big Ten tournament, but that's because it got canceled. <laughs> and by the way, the Cyclones, they kept undefeated too, right? Or I don't know if they got a game or not. But anyways, we are living in a midst of the reality of a world of a widespreading illness. And we even think about the reality is Thursday... I did a service over at Golden Horizons. And I knew that I was pretty much the last outside person allowed in that building. Because right on that sign, a big old stop sign that said, unless you're emergency personnel, do not come in. If If you need to contact somebody, find another means to do so. And which means it is a difficult time for those who do live in those places. So how could we say, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation? Well, first we could look at our gospel lesson. In the gospel lesson, we have a very interesting interesting situation with this Samaritan woman. She comes to the well of Jacob. 
John actually identifies it as Jacob's well, which it's interesting is that that is the only text in the ancient world that calls it Jacob's well, which I believe there's a reason that John did that. But everybody knew what he was talking about. It was the well where Jacob met his wife-to-be, Rebecca. But the Samaritan woman came at noon. And this would have been in early summer, late spring. Can any of you guess what the weather is like at noon in Jerusalem, in Israel, in the summer? Hot. Is the noon the time that you probably walk a long distance to fetch a pail of water? No, you'd go in the morning. Or maybe late at night when the temperature started going down. But this woman was coming at noon. And she was coming all by herself. In the first century, if you traveled all by yourself, if you were going to travel that distance, you made sure you traveled in groups. Because it was dangerous. There were robbers, there were uh, muggers, there were thieves that would be along the roads that might try to attack women who had traveled by themselves. But this woman chose to travel by herself. And then there's the fact that she's a Samaritan. There's a reason why she is surprised that Jesus asked her for a drink of water. Because Jews and Samaritans did not get along with each other. Samaritans, the Jews hated the Samaritans to such a degree that there was actually a written law. Now you wouldn't get arrested or anything for it, but it's kind of there was actually a written down rule that you were not to eat or drink from any utensil that a Samaritan had taken from, had touched. So this is similar to, if you, some of you who are older might know or familiar, for me it's in just history books, when there were drinking fountains that were for colored individuals and drinking fountains for people who were white. It was the same idea between Samaritans and Jews. And it was mostly the Jews that hated the Samaritans, not the other way around. And so this woman, so through the course of conversation, Jesus tells tells her that he has a water that wells up to eternal life. She gets excited at this because that means she may not have to come to this well anymore because she hates coming there. And it's within that moment that Jesus asks the question that tells you why. He asks her to bring her husband. Because Jesus knew the truth. At the moment, she didn't have a husband. She had had five husbands previously. And now she was with a sixth man who would not even marry her. And now you know why she came when she did. She was a woman that was entrenched in sin. Yes, when you have six divorces, or six, you have five divorces, there is issues going on there. So she's entrenched in sin, she's living in brokenness, and she's living with the reality that if she is, the reason she's not traveling with others is because she knows what they're going to do. They're going to gossip about her. They're going to talk about her. They're going to give that snickering face towards her. 
She knows even if she comes by herself and she were to come there in the morning, they'd be there at the well and say, there she is. Oh, you believe that person? She knows exactly the way it's going to be. You see, this woman was an outcast. And because she was a Samaritan, she was an outcast in an outcasted society. So she was an outcast of the outcasts. No one cared for her. Not even the man that she, the, she was living with cared enough about her to marry her. But Jesus was waiting there to show that someone did indeed have compassion and love for her. He told her the mysteries, told her the reality that the Christ had come, that the Christ had arrived, that, the, that Jacob's well was actually not that piece, of, that grouping of stones, but rather that Jesus himself is Jacob's well. He is the one who has, he is the Messiah, he is the Christ. He is the one who brings salvation, brings life, guarantees that they would, no one who follows him would ever thirst for righteousness. Now, we didn't get this far in our gospel lesson, but if you read a little bit farther, do you know what this woman did? This woman who avoided people at all costs? She ran home to her village to tell everyone what she said, what she had heard, and to bring them back with her to the, to the well where she refused to travel with others because she was so excited by what she had heard, so overjoyed that she had greeted and listened and spoke to the Christ who was promised long ago. For her, she knew why she could make a joyful noise to the Lord. She kind of began to get an understanding when Jesus said, a time is coming when there will be those who will not worship in Jerusalem or on this mountain, but in spirit and in truth. Which, by the way, spirit, it does not mean like cheerleader spirit. You know, like, ooh, spirit, yay. It's not that kind of spirit. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. Those who worship in the Holy Spirit. That's a way of saying those who worship with faith. And it's those who worship in truth. Jesus himself would later say in the Gospel of John that he is the truth. To worship in the Spirit, to worship in the truth, that is how, where true worship is. Is those who are claimed as children of God. How do we begin almost every service? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Every single worship, sir, every single service, we are worshiping in spirit and in truth. And if we happen to find ourselves in a situation, maybe the, it does get to a case where we do have to use online worship, you can still worship in spirit and in truth. Hopefully we don't get to that point. We too have reasons to rejoice. We too have reasons to say, to make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. 
The gospel, the epistle lesson gives us straightforward that while we were sinners, sinners just like that woman, we are as guilty of sin as she was. In fact, quite often, we are the ones who are the gossipers, the ones who do make those faces and those snickering words. We are the reason why there are those who do not want to come to church because they know of the judging eyes and the judging words. And so we read these words. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, just like gossiping sinners or whatever of the Ten Commandments you may go through and see that we have failed and broken, still Christ died for us. Throughout the history of the church, they have dealt with illnesses. They've dealt with disease. This is actually one of those values of our old hymns. Not in opposition... Not at the expense of the contemporary. You'll notice the second half of the service is pretty much all contemporary. But this is the advance, one of the nice things about the hymns is we hear the voice of people who've gone through what we have, are going through now. In fact, they went through a lot worse. There are, there are those hymn writers that kind of refer to as the, the plague writers because they wrote during times of plagues. People like, there's one that came up back in November. I don't know if you were here, but we sang the hymn, and you can, and actually Sue could verify, I, I considered trying to throw it in this morning. But from God can nothing move me. It was a hymn written by a pastor. It was written for a woman who was fleeing Erfurt because of a great plague that had broken out in the city. And before she left, the pastor gave this hymn from God can nothing move me to comfort her in her journey. There's a man named Philip Nikolai. His most famous hymns are Wake, Awake, for Night is Flying, and O Morning Star, How Fair and Bright. They're known as the King and the Queen of Chorales. He's the most best go-to person when it comes to talking about the reality of disease and the fear of it because he lived in a congregation that lost 2,000 members in a single year. He lost 800 members in the month of July to the plague. And you read hymns like, Oh, Morning Star, How Fair and Bright, he could still write that. And Pastor Will Whedon wonderfully was wonderfully translated the work that he had. I'm not reading all of it because it's seven pages. I'm going to read a few paragraphs of it still. And I think he could write so much better how, why we could say a joyful noise, why we could sing unto the Lord, why we could rejoice all the same as that Samaritan woman. So this is the words of a man living through a plague far worse than we are going to experience from the coronavirus. He says, As often as I call to mind the surpassing comfort 
of the promise of eternal life and of our heavenly home, my heart bursts out with joy. And my soul rejoices in God, my Savior. Think of it. There we believing Christians will behold with joyful eyes the almighty King of glory, our only Redeemer and Savior, Jesus Christ, who for us trampled down the ancient serpent. There we will gather with the holy patriarchs, prophets, and apostles. There we will see again with overflowing joy those we've loved on earth, our father, mother, brothers, and sisters, husband and wife, children, and all our acquaintances who have blessedly fallen asleep in the Lord and have gone before us in true faith. There God will wipe away, wipe all tears from our eyes and transform our mourning into dancing. He will clothe us with joy so that our hearts rejoice for all eternity. And this awesome joy no one can ever take from us. There we will enter into the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. We will be brought into the company of many thousands of angels and to the assembly of the firstborn who are written in heaven. And in that place, joy will simply overwhelm us as we contemplate the awesome gifts God has bestowed on us. To think that heaven should be ours. That everything that which Christ has is now our imperishable heavenly treasure. God himself will be our very great reward, our temple, our light, and our all in all. Who would trade all the world's perishable splendor, honor, joy, and glory for what God has in store for us? Our future is that we will see and laugh together with the holy angels. Indeed, the entire heavenly host will call us blessed because we have believed in Jesus Christ and trusted his unfailing word to the death. Whenever I think of these things, my heart and mind grow quiet, peaceful, and still. I do not fret. Then, even though in this world we miserable earthworms and sheep of Christ's pasture are surrounded by temporal death, in this life, so that our faith and hope have to run the fiery gauntlet of the devil and his cursed followers. The children of God do not need to despair, because we wait in hope for the life that never ends. That is our future, even as we pass through this valley of tears, burdened with afflictions, poverty, scorn, mockery, and privation. Yes, the life that never ends come, gives us hope, even though we live in exile or find ourselves widows or orphans, despised preachers, miserable creatures, poor, sick, imprisoned, or scorned, treated as wretched slaves who can be abused and who suffer reverses a judgment, cry over misfortunes and receive no apparent help. Our future hope is secure. Although here we must be fools for Christ's sake, an awe-scouring of the people, a spectacle for men and angels. The Lord will soon come. In his grace, he has heard already the sighs and cries of his elect, who cry out to him day and night. He will save us in a little while and bring joy to his church after these troubles. What we now suffer 
for a little time in this world is just not worth the unspeakable great glory that will finally be revealed in us. You see, these troubles, which are temporary and light, are working for us an eternal, immeasurable, incomprehensible glory the like of which no eye has seen and no ear heard and has not entered into the heart of anyone. Oh, the inexpressible glory and unutterable joy of the eternal blessing and glory which we will there experience. Oh, the light that shines everywhere in heaven's joyful halls, bringing blessed comfort and delight to all the children of light who have overcome the devil, the world, and all trials through the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, the noble and astounding paradise, the glorious city of God and heavenly land of Canaan, where stands God's mountain of joy and comfort, which from flow the milk of comfort and the honey of joy, and where God is all in all. Oh, how wonderful a world it must be. How desirable a place. How lovely a dwelling. How precious the garden of bliss is this kingdom. It is a kingdom overflowing with every comfort, abounding in all grace, and chocked full of inexpressible joy. Yeah, I know that was a bit, but I cannot say that that well. <laughs> but that's the words of a man in the middle of a plague. Killing the equivalent of the population of Ida Grove. And he could still rejoice. This reality that we live in, we are forced to face our idols because we are all being forced to give them up. We are asked to set them aside for the sake of safety. And hopefully, it would lead us to realize that all the treasures, all the things, and all the leisures that we have in our life, they are nothing in comparison for what our God has in store for us. Because while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Therefore, as we suffer, know that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to you. Therefore, rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith, the life everlasting. Amen.